Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Today, we are going to discuss music and the brain. I'm always amazed at how infants smile and wiggle their little bodies at the sound of music. It's intoxicating, brings joy to our souls, and opens us up to new experiences and learning. My guests today know this all too well and will share with us their expertise on music and the brain. Leisha LaCary is the program director and creator of Music and the Brain. Leisha LaCary has always been a music teacher and taught in schools in New York City since 1983. She created Music and the Brain starting in 1996 and has been working on ways of improving the program and materials since then. Lisala Beatty is the program manager for Music and the Brain. Lisala Beatty has worked with Music and the Brain since 2003. Lisala works extensively in the more than 200 schools who have received Music and the Brain grants. She supports teachers in using the Music and the Brain curriculum effectively through ongoing classroom visits. Leisha and Lisala, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this show. Uh, Leisha, what was your inspiration for this program? Well, in uh, the beginning was in 1996, thanks to a cover story by Sharon Begley in Newsweek that talked about the brain and, and how it develops. And it, it cited a study by Gordon Shaw, the Mozart effect, and that led to thinking about positive effects of music on young children's minds. And one thing led to another. Another, I went out to visit him, and what he was doing in the lab, we wanted to do in the field. And... Um, Originally, we thought we would just, you know, prove how valuable it was and get every one of the 800 elementary schools in New York to embrace music because it was so important. And we did research originally um, while developing the curriculum. But uh, that, was, that was the beginning of it back in 1996. And though it was inspired by science, I have been a music teacher forever, and I'm not sure you need science to justify the benefits of music. So, Alicia... Today, how many of New York City's elementary schools have music in the brain or use the program? This year, we have about 120. Over the last 17 years, we've had, I think, about 200 in New York. Some have come and gone because of losing room or funding or a music teacher. But today, we have 120 in New York City. And they were so you... all... We, I just want to add that we, um, we got them pretty much by word of mouth. We've not advertised, and we've, we've nurtured them very slowly and carefully, and Lisala will talk to you about visiting them all, which she's done extensively in the last 10 years, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking to, to expand more quickly now rather than just 10 a year, and um, that'll be the change, I guess, going forward. Well, well that's still quite impressive. If, if, if they have approximately 800 elementary schools, and at one point you were in 200 of them, I mean, that's over 20%. That's not bad at all. Well, thank you. I, uh, I think children should have music. And they haven't been getting enough of it. And so um, we're, we're one of the elements out there trying to turn that around. That's great. Uh, Lisala, what kind of support do you give the music teachers you visit? 
Um, well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of what it's really a give and take. A lot of what I do, particularly for new teachers who are in their first year of teaching the curriculum, I spend a lot of time with them, making sure they are comfortable with the uh, all of the elements and the materials that they can use in the lesson, and how to sequence the lesson. How do you work with 25 kids, 30 kids? young children, kindergarten, first, second graders, and get them to really fall in love with the song that they're going to learn to read and then go to an instrument. So there are many, many steps within that process in a 40-minute, 45-minute lesson. And so I'm there to help to support the teacher as they start to use the materials, rhythm materials, the songs themselves, all of our recordings, um, and then ultimately getting them to the keyboard in an orderly fashion, if you can imagine 30 kids <laughs> doing that, um, and being able to effectively start to get the music in their fingers. Um, we're l- working, as I said, with kindergarten, first and second grade predominantly, and for many of them, left and right is a huge task <laughs> to, to, for them to even know their left hand over their right hand. So um, what I'm there to do is to assist the music teacher get them to use all of their own individual talents. Every teacher has their own background and and strength that they bring to the curriculum. And then just to give them ideas from the field. So, you know, I'm kind of, because of my unique position of having visited all of our teachers, I I can say, well, you know what, if you're encountering this type of problem, I've seen other teachers deal with it in this way. And then also, um, you know, I'm learning from them. So every teacher comes to it with some new fabulous idea that they employ in their lessons, and then I can I can spread that around to other teachers as well as in-house, and, and Leisha uh, and I can talk about, you know, ways that we might enhance the, the materials that we give based on what we see working and not working. Yeah, I, I also have to add... Um, about about the visiting and and when Lisan says internalizing it, they they sing it, they move it, they dance it, they analyze it, they look for patterns, they they are thinking all the time, giving yet another level of meaning to music and the brain. We we don't lecture them, and they never play a piece that they don't know. Um, one of our schools has thirty seven keyboards, and I don't know if anybody can imagine thirty seven five year olds. <laughs> a keyboards all all participating, and and as Lisanne said, it's that they've internalized the music before they get there. They can self-correct because they know how to sing it. They know what it should sound like, and that's really important. And we did bring um, some sample music uh, as well that maybe you'll have some time to play today, but it's not just playing it instructively. We also created a bunch of CDs to inspire music so that it's, I would call it fancier arrangements of simple tunes a song that might only have three notes and four measures, we turned it into a really great jazz piece. So I'm hoping that we'll have a moment to uh, to play some of that today. You absolutely will. And in fact, Leisha, you'll be the one in charge of uh, telling oh, well, us then, when to do just that. Okay, well then let me let me give you an example. Um, Lisalo can just sing the simple melody to the first song in our book, which is called Swimming Down and Up. And the concept we wanted to teach was directionality, that music can move in different directions. And, of course, that applies to other things in life. But maybe if Lisa could just sing the simple melody, and then we'll play the jazz arrangement of it. Uh, Absolutely. So Swimming Down and Up, this is a song that's played with the left hand, and it features quarter notes, simple, very simple rhythm. And here it is. Swimming down and up and down and up and down and stay the same. Shh. And we have a shh at the end because there's a quarter rest at the end of it. 
So while that's in a go ahead, Lisa. No, say, while that music is being queued up, um, this sh- is really funny, and I'd like to give an image of this. You you see this this sea of darling children out there practicing with their headphones on, and they sing to themselves. But what you hear in this song is you hear all these little sh- 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 like they're they're actually okay. articulating the rest in the music, and um, okay. it's quite funny. Alicia- I'm sorry to interrupt you. Alicia, no, actually, um, the producer's ready to go anytime you, you give the go. Go for it. Go for it. Sala, besides class sizes, you know, large class sizes, what are some of the other challenges that the teachers face? Well, um, there are challenges when you are a teacher. In New York City, they are sometimes called cluster teachers. When you're a music teacher or a specialty teacher, you're seeing many, many classes and often every class in the building. And so you've got, let's say, twice a week you might see a class and you've got 45 minutes to really impart to them something really huge in terms of the level of concepts that they're learning in the piece and you don't get to see them you know every day all day as the classroom teacher does so the the music teacher has to be fabulous at managing the 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 class they have to know their music obviously they've got to be able to impart it in uh in an interesting way so it really there there are so many different hats that a music teacher has to to wear um, and so I think it's different than, than a classroom teacher does who also works very hard. But you, you're, you've got a short window. And a music teacher once described it to me as, you know, they're giving five or six performances a day, if you will, because you, you've, got to, you've got to kind of really craft your lesson and be captivating and get the kids to fall in love with the music. So what I see in the classroom is just varying levels of, of challenges as it pertains to that. We've got schools that are in some very economically disadvantaged neighborhoods where you have children who may have a lot of learning needs, special needs, and so uh, an approach to a lesson like that might be different than you would have in, an, in another type of a, of a class. So, so there's a real gamut of, of the kinds of things that, that teachers run into. Um, but one of the, the prevailing things I would say um, I've seen over the years is that all of the teachers tell me, and I see it as well, that the attention span of children, unfortunately, is, is, is a real problem. It's declining over time. Um, and getting them to be focused and wanting to work through learning anything, and particularly something as challenging as learning to read music and play music, is a real challenge. So we're, I think we're kind of at the forefront of, 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 of working with children in this way where they absolutely have to have focus to be uh, successful at the keyboard and to learn these concepts, but then you're kind of battling really what's a societal change, I would say, in terms of uh, of children having so many things pulling their attention and and struggling sometimes to focus. 
even for you know 45 minute lesson. Absolutely, and in fact, recently I did an episode on attention differences, and I know that music is one of the things that help students tremendously uh, in focusing and, and in managing uh, their attention skills. Yeah, um, there, there have been a number of studies that have come out addressing that issue exactly. So it's it's a tool that people are not employing enough. If you think about, as Lisella said, the the challenges that are are being faced, but. In music, you have this this grabbing attention, this training on how to understand what you're hearing and to really listen carefully to what you're hearing, which they then can apply to anything they're being taught. Absolutely. And in fact, Leisha, after we take a short break, I'd like you to share with us some research concerning music in the brain. But at this time, we're going to take a short break. But stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion of music and the brain. Uh, Alicia, just before the break, uh, you mentioned we were starting to discuss some of the research that is validating the importance of music. Uh, can you share some of the research that you have? Yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot of it out there, and I will say that I can only b- talk a bit about it, but our website will give them give people more leads and there's more going on every day but there have been studies showing music curbing things like epileptic seizures possibly helping uh stave off dyslexia that's a study going on at MIT oh. right now really major major issues in our own study where we had a control group that did language arts and a control group that got our program in two very different environments one in central harlem where english was the only language spoken and one in queens new york where Spanish was the first language, but in both groups, after a year and lots of testing, um, the music kids outscored the language arts kids in math, which we expected, and spatial temporal reasoning, which we expected, but also acquiring English as a second language and spelling. So there were there are lots of studies, but if I could just mention something kind of anecdotal that I think all the listeners would relate to, um, just a tiny example, but you know, if, if I asked people, and I say this all the time, can you recite 10 poems? and maybe one in a foreign language. You know, and I look for volunteers. You don't see the hands going up. But if you ask the same group of people, could they recite the lyrics of songs, you're going to see that they can do hundreds or thousands, and if you're at my age, probably tens of thousands, because it went with music. And we all say, oh, yeah, because I know the song, as if that's nothing. But it's really significant. The fact of music has planted it in the brain. It is stored there. It is remembered. And when you're 100 years old, you're still going to remember that song. Oliver Sacks talks about how his, his seniors with, with severe learning problems in their, in their age can sing when they can't speak. Wow. So I think all of us can relate to this, and studies back it up. What I wish is that the powers that be in the education department in this city and state and country recognize the importance as well. In fact, you, you, you bring back a memory that I completely forgot about. Uh, back in the late 70s when I was in fourth grade in New York City in Queens, <laughs> um, we actually did an entire play on one song, but we I believe we sung the song in somewhere from six to eight different languages. Oh. And something about music made acquiring those languages easier. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes acquiring your own language easier. You're, you're really hearing things differently. You know, they give these kids these two-hour reading, required reading in schools, taking them out of other things, and they hand them a book, but they don't sound out the words. And what we do and what good teaching does, I don't want to say it's exclusive to music in the brain, but we really get them to attend to all those details in all those songs, which is what Lisa was saying before. We even, we even take, um, just as an example of language, we take popular classical songs and set them to our own lyrics, and that sticks with the children. Maybe we can take a minute just to play another example. If, if, oh, absolutely. If we could cue up uh, the Andante Gracioso, this is just the piece by Mozart, and this is the straightforward piano version that the children will play. And then Lisala will um, sing the, the lyrics that she created for the song. Hey, well, my producer is awesome, so of course it's already ready to go. So let's Great. hear it. Thank you. Andante Gracioso. One, two, three, four, five, six. If people have heard this piece, um, it's really lovely, and we teach what the words mean. And, and um, Lisala came up with these beautiful lyrics that then stuck with the kids as well. But maybe she can just give us a little a cappella version of it now. It's one of my, my favorite of her arrangements. Sure. And, and one reason I did this was because it, it is a song that has a challenging rhythm. So this is a way for the kids to really grab onto that rhythm. So here it is. Grace. Peacefully walking, peacefully gliding, I can feel the sun all around me. Gracefully walking, steadily moving, how I love. That was beautiful, and what a beautiful voice. Thank you so much. Yeah. How do you feel when Lee Sala walks in the room? She's bigger than Beyonce. Um. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, though, somewhere several years ago, because I'm, of course, a tough New Yorker, um, but several years ago, when I hear incredible singing, it almost brings tears to my eyes. In fact, it does bring tears to my eyes. I'll just admit that. So, Lee Sala, you just brought tears to my eyes. Oh, thank you so much. That's so lovely of you to say. Okay. But you can imagine in the, in the lesson the children are then able to sing and move and, and gracefully walk. There's a discussion of what does it mean to move gracefully. And so we've, we've added the literacy into, into this curriculum, um, and, and it's there in a lot of the music already, um, but we've added it where, where we wanted to as well to just give another dimension to what they're learning. Now, now how do students react to seeing in person the voice that they constantly hear on the music and the brain recordings? It's so funny. I, I get so many funny comments, but mostly what they want to know is how can you be here and your voice is coming out of that machine? You know, so, <laughs> so that is kind of a cool discussion where I, I talk to them about you know the recording process and what that is, and going into a studio and having musicians and singing into a microphone and it goes into the computer and you know so so it's it's often uh, leads to that kind of a discussion. They're like, how can you be here at the same time? Uh, you know, so it's it's really we, really adorable. We selected the songs in the creek. There's a lot of classical music. There's a lot of world music in the curriculum, and we teach a lot of different languages. 
I'm so thrilled that I now speak Japanese because I, I've put oh. on in the curriculum. And anybody really can. Um, but we've also built in topics into it. So social studies are addressed. One of, one of the most beautiful recordings that we did uh, of the fancy arrangement of it is um, Martin Luther King. And it's so dear because you, you give the children a chance. First of all, everybody wants to talk about Martin Luther King. And they come up with these lovely ways of expressing themselves. And I think, I think often children go home and nobody asks them a question. You know, mm. What do they think about this? And even, even in the classroom, it's often crammed down you and you're being prepared for a test. But, but we give space in the music room and we encourage our teachers to, incur, to include this in their lessons, that they, they actually ask questions about the song, especially when it's got a title like Martin Luther King. And I'm, I'd love you to play that. And I just have to say about this song... Um, the idea for it, it's a round, which means one part starts and another come in, comes in later. The lyrics and the rhythm came from one of our music teachers, and I put a little tune to it so that we could play it on the piano so we could sneak it into the curriculum. And then Lisa and the rest of a quartet uh, did this glorious arrangement of it. So if we can just take Great. a Let's hear moment it. for it. Maybe not the whole thing, but a lot of it, because it's gorgeous. Great. Let's hear it. I have a dream. I have a dream Martin Luther King Said I have a dream I have a dream I have a dream Martin Luther King Said Beautiful. And it, it, these these arrangements um, allowed us to put into the curriculum something that we couldn't otherwise, which was because a lot of music is copyrighted, so you can't put famous jazz and gospel and certain kinds of tune pop tunes in. But this allows us to talk about different styles of music, and you know we we're interested in developing their brains and their skills. But it's also nice just to turn them on to the world of all these different kinds of music. Not only that, you can. Uh you pretty much teach every curriculum and use this as a motivator because if oh, I want definitely. to introduce the children to the history of the civil rights movement, I can start with this piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I probably well would done. now. In fact, I feel, you know, I, I'm happy for these kids because what a great way to learn. Um, what, what age groups are you focusing on or what grades can apply for these grants? In, in New York, we focus mostly on kindergarten, first and second graders because it was, it's the institutionalized age. But who knows if we, if, um, if de Blasio comes up with pre-K and it's universal and we have enough, then we'd love to go to a younger grade. Um, we are doing this in other countries and one of our schools, three of our schools, I should say, in Paris, they're preschools, they're Montessori, they're bilingual Montessori schools and three to five year olds are doing it there with Excellent. Huge, huge success. Music is a language 
that is easily learned. Where, where language is difficult, music is not hard. There's seven notes. There's only so many rhythms. And it makes sense. We are, human beings are naturally built on music. We, we grow around our hearts, so we know it. And um, we focus on younger kids because we want to get their neurons firing early. You lose them as you grow older, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but we have had a lot of high schools approach us and private teachers who deal with adults. It's not, um, it's not age-specific, but we do start with beginners, and then there's at least a three-year curriculum behind that. It's okay. very easy. I, I would like to just add, too, this is an, a, a grant that is available to public schools who have a music teacher in place. Um, and have a, a space for it. They've got to have a classroom, which is a huge hurdle for a lot of our schools. Um, but that's, that's really the main criteria and as well as scheduling. You know, this is not just an after-school program or something that they, they kids will dabble in. It's something that the principal has to commit to for kindergartners twice, twice a week at minimum um, and once or twice a week for the other grades as well. So, this is the way you get results and the children can really get the benefit of this and, and develop skills is with the frequency. So those are the real uh, requirements that we look for, a, a school with a classroom for music, a teacher who is interested in teaching this, and then scheduling. Um, yeah. And then we, we really work to make it a success in the building. And, and this program is used with regular ed and what they, I don't know if they're still calling it special ed, but with great success in the hands of some brilliant Teachers, uh, we've had we've had amazing stories come out where kids who never spoke in their classroom and didn't seem to be connected at all—they were pre-autistic or whatever label somebody decided to put on them—they walk into that music room and suddenly they're able to express themselves. So it's um, there's lots of different levels that that go on. I know I know you're having a, one of our great teachers come on board this conversation soon, and she'll be able to speak to that. But it wasn't designed with any particular person in mind except a beginner at music. Mm. So it starts at no. the beginning. And we offer this, we offer our workshops to the PTAs in buildings and to the staff of the building. I love doing them because I can, it's so much fun to um, to sit in a sea of adults who don't read music, promise them that they'll be reading it within a half hour, and I never fail. It's just a guaranteed thing because it's, it's so accessible. Excellent, excellent. And before we take a break and, and bring on uh, one of your te- one of the teachers from New York City who actually uses this program. Um, I had I had a, a a thought that escaped me for a second, so I'm trying to trying to grab it. <laughs> um, in fact, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we have been speaking with Leisha LeCarry, program director and creator of Music and the Brain, and Lisala Beatty, uh, program manager for Music and the Brain. Stay tuned because in our next half hour, we will be joined by a current teacher of Music and the Brain. <laughs> 